how can I grow in the coming years? It is New York, uh, New Year's Day, right? And some of you have been thinking about New Year's resolutions. And I got to tell you, I made a huge mistake. I made a New Year's resolution to lose weight this coming year. Well, that, that wasn't the mistake. The mistake was telling my wife that I made the resolution. <laughs> so I woke up this morning, New Year's Day, and I went and stepped up on the scale and uh, standing there and looking in the mirror, and I'm thinking, Lanny, I think you have contracted that disease that some elderly men have, do contract, it's called furniture disease. It's when your chest falls into your drawers. <laughs> and so I'm standing there in front of the mirror and I'm throwing out my chest and pulling in my stomach with a deep breath. And just then my wife walks into the room <laughs> and she says, oh, honey, that's not going to do you any good. And I said, I know, but I can't see the numbers if I don't pull my stomach in. <laughs> But I, through high tech, I've rectified that problem. I take my telephone and I can photograph the numbers. <laughs> but you see the problem, don't you? If I'm holding the phone in my hand, it adds extra weight to the scales. <laughs> so, hey, I just detract 10 pounds and it's all good. <laughs> well, anyway, New Year's resolutions. I don't know what you're thinking or what you've thought about this. I do want you to have a good year. And I'm not so concerned that, that you're spending time in the gym or whatever it might be on your list. I want you to grow spiritually in the coming year. And, and so I've put together a, a, sh a short list here. And I, I think of the verse of uh, 1 Timothy uh, 611 that says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, and gentleness. And actually, what, what that is uh, communicating is that you'd be more like Jesus. I, I'm going to mention five things that I want you to grow in. The first one is on the screen. Grow in knowledge and perspective and conviction and abilities and character. Now, you don't have to write all that down yet. I gave you sheets with blanks to fill in. Just when Jared gets back, just don't tell him Lanny gave one of those blankety-blank sermons, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Grow in your knowledge of the word. There are some people who would argue that a general knowledge of the word is about all you need to get through this life and that details are superfluous. I don't want you to think that way. I don't think that's true. That would be like me with the World Cup here. I, I was so glad that Argentina won the World Cup because it's not, I don't have to pretend I know what's going on anymore. Uh, I, I'm a, a typical American male, never played soccer, don't know the rules. Nobody seems to be able to explain offsides to me. That's all right. And you might say, well, that's okay, Lanny. You don't have to understand the sport that well. Well, I don't if we're talking about it. But if I'm going to be in the game, I got to know how to play. And we're Christians. And in that sense, we're in that game. 
the game in which we need to have spiritual growth and we need to grow in the knowledge of the word and we need to know, you might put it crassly, we need to know what the rules are. We need to know what God wants us to do and the things that he does not want us to do. I'm not talking about memorizing facts, but I'm talking about putting it all together. Let me give you a couple of examples. Now, I know there are some of you that are really deep in the scriptures, and that's wonderful. What I'm wondering is, um, if you're talking to someone and you say that Jesus is God, can you make an argument from scripture of the divinity of Christ? He says, okay, take your Bible and show me. Could you do that? One of the hot topics this past year of 2022 has been abortion. Can you put together a biblical case against abortion? that the Bible says it's wrong? These are the kind of things that I'm talking about in getting a growing in the knowledge of the word. I feel very strongly that there, there are levels of knowledge. We first, we get, we get the word into our heads. And we know the word. That, that's the first inescapable fact of knowing the word of God. Second thing is we need to get it into our hearts. What I'm saying is you can know the word of God. Do you love the word of God? Is it really important to you? Is it precious to you? Is it dear to you? And then you need to get it out in your hands. Head, heart, hands. What do I mean by hands? That's when we apply the word. We know it. We love it. We do it. That is so crucial we cannot stop short of that. And I would say, if you are not a doer of the word, you're not a believer of the word. Uh, this is one way I put things together. Well, this is an extra verse there for you. Um, see, I'm already making a hash of this. Let me see what's next. Knowledge of the word. Here it is. The, the W here. Wonder. Wonder about the word of God. Ask questions of the text. The, you know, the old reporter, who, what, where, when. Those kinds of things need to be dealt with. And then as you're going through the word, wonder. And then observe. What does the text mean? It's a trap to say, what does the text mean to me? The text does not mean different things to different people. The text means what it is intended to mean. And that's what we need to get hold of. Because if, the, if a verse in the Bible can mean anything you want it to mean, it means nothing at all. So observe. What does it mean? And sometimes it's tough. And sometimes there are questions that I have of the text that I just have to put aside. I, I put it on the back burner for a while. Let me take a difficult text for you. After Jesus rose from the grave, he's with his disciples, the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. There is a great draught or catch of fish. It's a miraculous thing that Jesus does. He tells them, put down your nets, but Lord, we've been out all night. We haven't got anything. Put down your nets. And right then they pull up the nets and they're full to the breaking point of fish. And they dump the fish out 
And the Bible says there were 153 fish. What does that mean? I wonder, what is the, what is the meaning of that? Well, Jerome said there were 153 fish, St. Jerome said there were 153 fish, one for every species of fish in the world. Augustine did it differently. He took 17 and he added one plus two plus three plus four plus five, and he went all the way up to 17. And when you add all those numbers up, it comes up to 153. So there must be something special about the, the number 17. Well, of course, you can break that down to 10 and 7. Uh, 10 uh, for the 10 commandments and 7, you break that down for 3 for the Holy Trinity and 4 for the walls in the New Jerusalem. <laughs> you know what I think it means? I think one of the disciples were there and going, man, there's a lot of fish. Let's count them. And there were 153, and John thought that was pretty impressive, so he wrote it down. I think the meaning of this text is Jesus rose bodily. It wasn't some incorporeal spirit, but it was a bodily resurrection, and he was working wonders. It was a miracle, and it should emphasize in our minds that Jesus is alive and he has power over everything. So what does that mean to me? Well, look at your life. Where, where are you needing to have power in your life? Where does something need to be done? Where do you need Christ to exercise his presence in your life? That's how you apply it. That might be different for you than different than it is for me, but the principle is identical for all of us. So observe um, the word of God and then reflect. What is that application for me? I wonder about the word, I observe the word, I reflect on the word, and then I do it. Apply the teaching to your life. How important that is. So I want you to grow in your knowledge of the word, and I want you to grow in your perspective. Grow in your perspective of the word. And what I'm saying here is putting it all together so that you get a clear picture of what's going on in this world and in my life or in your life. When I was a young kid, my parents took a trip down to Florida and uh, we went to a place in central Florida called Lake Wales. And I remember that there was this wall that I saw, a big wall, like, you know, like uh, across the, the, this whole stage area. And I remember touching it. It was kind of a, a, a rocky marble. It was kind of smooth, but it was a bunch of little different pebbles in it and all different colors. And I thought, this, you know, what's the big deal about this? Then later, as we were walking through these gardens, we were further away from that wall, and my dad pointed for me to look at it, and I looked at the wall, and I saw, I didn't know what it was then, but now I know that it was Da Vinci's Last Supper. When I was up so close to it, I didn't have a big view of it. I didn't have a big perspective, 
But when I stepped back, I could see. And I think we need to keep this in mind as well. And I want you to grow in your godly perception of what God is doing in the world. To know what's going on and what he wants you to do. Psalm 103, 7 says, He made his ways known to Moses, his acts or his nature, his plans, to the people of Israel. So uh, the Lord was revealing to Moses his nature. It wasn't just a list, the Ten Commandments of do this, don't do that. It was what God was doing in this world, what he was accomplishing. In the New Testament, Hebrews 5, 14, it says that solid food is for the mature, for those who have their who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. What's constant practice? That's doing it. That's acting out on the scriptures, doing what God commands. And then what you're able to do is distinguish good from evil. The, the things that are the opposite of this would be hardness of heart or dullness or blindness things that are ob opposites of what this verse is talking about don't you want to be a person with discernment in this world another word for that would be wisdom that's pretty important to understand what's going on in this world so grow in your perspective that's what i'm praying for you to do this coming year and there are ver many benefits to this for one thing it causes you to love more when you understand what god is doing in the world what he's doing in the church what he's doing in your family or even just in your own life you, you tend to love him more ephesians three eighteen speaks to this that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to love and, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Don't you want to be full of, of God, of godliness, of, of the spirit of God? And to be able to look at life around you from that perspective, that's an incredible benefit. And when we do that, we'll just love him all the more. Second benefit is that it helps us to resist temptation. Uh, this verse has always been a difficult one for me. Not because I don't think it's true or not because I don't understand it. It's because I do think it's true and I do understand it. <laughs> there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is, is the way to death. It says to me, I'm not as smart as I thought I was that I will get things wrong. And in my fallen state, even though God has redeemed me, I still will get fault. I still will have bad perceptions. I won't understand perfectly. And, and that's the reason you need to keep coming back to the scripture again and again and again. And when I'm tempted to do what is wrong, 
I need to understand that that's just the way I'm going to operate. But as I get God's perspective through his word, that will help me to avoid and resist temptation. Third benefit of a perspective of what God is doing in this world, it helps us to handle trials. Now, I know there are people in this congregation, people in this room right now, that have trials, that have grave difficulties. And you might be saying, yeah, Lanny, well, you don't know the half of it. And I want to say, you know what? You're right. I don't. But God does. And when you have the perspective that comes from his knowledge and his wisdom and his way, it gives you strength and it helps you to handle the trials that you go through. James 1.3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Well, that's a good quality to have, but it doesn't just out of the blue appear. It comes from testing. And Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus had the long view. How could he go to the cross? Remember, he asked, I don't want to go to the cross. He said, Father, take this cup from me. Don't want to drink of it. It's too horrible. But he did anyway, because he had God's perspective. He had the long view, and, and he knew that that was the best for him and for us, certainly as well. Well, another benefit not only causes us to love God, helps us resist temptation, helps us to handle trials, it protects us from errors. Protects us from errors. You know, in the age of pluralism in which we live, many, many people do not believe in absolute truth. One of my pet peeves is when I hear people say, well, this is my truth. You're not allowed to have your truth. There is the truth, and that's it. You're, you're entitled to have your opinions. That's okay. But there's only truth and nothing less than the truth. No individual truth. And the problem is not that people don't believe anything. The prob problem is they, they believe everything. And our job as Christians is to give, convince them that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but through him except through Jesus another great verse Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Jesus answered them the Pharisees and said you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God these are the religious specialists uh, these are the experts 
And Jesus says, you don't know the script. You don't know the truth because you don't know the scriptures. And you don't know the power of God in your life. I want you to grow in this area in your life. And we all need to grow. And I, I want to share with you. I, I know I've read this before, but it never popped out to me the way it's popped out just this last year. It's my, new, it's my favorite verse for 2022. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And Jehoshaphat is in a bad shape. He's in a bad way. He's king of Judah. The armies are encircling and coming in on him. And this is his prayer. He says, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that great? I, I can pray that every day of my life. I, I don't know what to do but I need to keep my eyes on God. He knows my frailty. He knows my weakness. He'll take care of it, and I can trust him. And he will protect me. He will protect you from error in your life. Okay, pressing on. You need to grow in your conviction. This is number three on your bulletin insert. You need to grow in your conviction. And by conviction, I'm not talking about... Uh, guilt of sin I'm, I'm talking about uh, you might put in that blank resolve grow in your resolve or grow in your courage your deeply held belief that this is the way it is Romans 12 chapter 2 very very familiar verse to all of us do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be conformed to it. Believe it. Know it. Love it. Do it. Professor Howie Hendricks of Dallas Theological Seminary used to say, a belief is something that you will argue about. A conviction is something you will die for. I remember somewhere along the line seeing a picture of protesters, and it's fine to protest. I'm not opposed to that. But someone had a sign, and they're, they're holding up the sign, and it says on the sign, nothing is worth dying for. Really? Nothing's worth dying for? I want to suggest to you that if you don't have something in your life worth dying for, you don't have anything in your life worth living for. This is conviction. And I'm praying that you will grow in your conviction in Christ. Finally, grow in your abilities. Your skill sets, the things that you, you can do. Uh, I keep coming back to this doing business. This, you know, head, hand, head, heart, and then the hands. James says, be, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, that's the problem with sin. We deceive ourselves. There's a very familiar parable that Jesus tells. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, uh, in the 20, 24, 25 round in there. He's talking about two men, a wise man and a foolish man. 
The wise man builds his house on the rock. And the wind comes down the... I know some of you are going... You know the song. Um, I saw that lady in the back row. Um, The the winds blow, the, the water rises, the house stands firm. But there's another man who built a house on shifting sand. The winds and the rain and the floods came. What happened to that house? The house on the sand went... Fell down. Okay, here's my question. What was the sand that the, how, the foolish man built on? What was that sand? Jesus tells us right there in the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the way my mind goes. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, um, secular humanism. Uh, today we might say critical race theory. No. I want to tell you, and you're not going to believe what I say. The shifting sand are the words of Jesus. You're thinking, Lanny, what are you saying? You got it mixed up. No. Jesus says, the man who hears my words and does them is like the man who builds a house on solid rock. The man who hears my words but does not do them is like the man, the foolish man, who builds his house on shifting sand. And right now, this hour and later, through this day, there, I'm willing to wager there are tens of thousands of Christians throughout our country that are sitting, listening to the words of Jesus, and they're condemned by his very own words. They're fools because they're not taking heed to the words of Christ. They're not doing what the, what the Lord requires of them. And I don't want any of us to be sitting in this room being a fool. Build on hearing the words of Jesus, absolutely, and doing them. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, you don't have this in your bulletin, you might want to jot it down. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, Rightly handling the word of truth, you know what that means? At least in part, it means putting it into practice. Do it. You want to be a good uh, disciple of Christ? You want to uh, show that you're a good worker and you're approved by him? Do what you are learning. And then I look back to the Old Testament, another great verse for the book of Ezra. How many people had a quiet time in Ezra this morning? I didn't either. Uh, but, great book. Ezra 7.10 says, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to, come on, finish it for me, do it. It's so important. We must obey. Hear it, obey it. And I think when it's in this area of growing in abilities, that's where we're at, growing in your abilities, there are frustrated Christians everywhere across our country and around the world. They're frustrated because they don't have the ability to do what they know they're supposed to be doing. Ecclesiastes 10.10. Oops, it's not what I wanted. Uh, but that's the next verse I'm going to throw out. Ecclesiastes 10.10. 
If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Yeah, this, yeah the picture of guys chopping wood and his axe gets dull. He can still chop the wood, but man, it's going to be a whole lot harder without a sharp edge on that axe. So you sharpen it, and then you see, does it work? I'm going to go at it. I'm going to do it. It's this application and this learning and doing it and repeating it and doing it. When the Holy Spirit was given to us as a church, we learned that the Holy Spirit gave gifts, and he gave, gave gifts to you, all of us. And we're to find and exercise those gifts. Those are the skills that we need to do what he asks us to do. Now, not everybody has the same skill set or gift set from the Holy Spirit, and we need to figure it out. Now, I can tell you, I've had to do some figuring in my lifetime. I know I'm not a prophet. I'm, I, can't, I can't foretell the future. Um, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. Most of my life, I've worked for a not-for-profit organization. <laughs> but I can preach a little bit. I remember very well the first sermon I ever preached. It was a blessing to nobody. It was sorry and sad. But with God's help by the Spirit, I kept at it. And the next one was a little better, and I stayed with it. And you should do that too. Whatever it is, whatever the skills that you look at, what are, uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Peter 4, look at those chapters and look at the gifts of the Spirit. They have things like... Um, uh, spiritual gift inventories. And I don't put a lot of stock in those things. Let the church help you. And when you're serving in a particular way in any one of those gifts, and God is blessing it, you'll, you'll have an internal sense of what God is doing, but the body of Christ will confirm it. They'll say, hey, that was great. Or they might say, please don't do that again but you learn and you grow and I want you to grow in your abilities this coming year okay last, last big blank to fill in number five grow in your character you know your ability might be what you do but your character is what you are what are you who are you this is the whole point of spiritual growth. It's not what we're supposed to do as, as much as it's who we are to become. And I mentioned spiritual gifts. This is a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Look at these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are all good. No one's going to say. No one's going to say these are bad things. I hope every one of us says, "Man, I want those things to be flourishing in my life," and they should be if the Spirit of Christ is indwelling you. You don't get there overnight. You don't get there in a year. You don't get there in ten years. I don't want to keep going because then you know how old I am. But 
I haven't arrived yet, and we need to keep growing. And, and Paul, the apostle, reveals the purpose of character. This verse from, he's writing to, first Tim, or to Timothy. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Your heart, your conscience, your faith, that's who you are. That's your character. And I want you to grow in that character. Another way of saying this would be, I want you to grow in your knowledge, your perspective, your conviction, and your ability. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say a whole lot, but I want to be focused on these five things. So how do, how do we critique this? Uh, how do I critique my growth? Okay. Take a look. Uh, uh, am I learning the content of Scripture? Am, am I seeing others and... In life in general, more clearly from God's point of view, perspective, are my values more aligned with God's values? My values, are they lining up? And am I becoming more skilled? And am I becoming more like Jesus? Really is the question. Now, you can go home and you can work on these things if you like, but don't make this mistake. Don't overly individualize them now i sure don't want you to go and tell, tell members you know you tell your spouse you need to grow in this one that's for sure <laughs> don't do that don't do that that's not loving it's not kind nor anyone else just you know keep it to yourself but i need to tell you something it's not all just you we need the church to do this we need the context of the church. You want to grow in patience? I learned long ago, don't pray for patience, brother. Because <laughs> God will put things in your life that will cause you to need patience. Uh, seriously, that's how we get become more patient. How do we become loving? We have this honorary guy in our life that drives us nuts. But we've got to love him anyhow. This is what happens in the context of the church. And, and we need to grow that way. It's so important. And every part of the church is important, Paul tells us in Corinthians. In my home, I have lots of different kinds of lights. I have lights on the outside of the house they're for security, and I have lights uh, for ambiance. We have lights for decoration. Uh, my wife likes the lights in the candles, uh, in the windows, uh, and, and all kinds of lights. We have uh, work lights, you know, do you really have for your reading lights and all that? We have the, probably the most expensive light that we have in our houses and our dining rooms is big kind of ball with a whole bunch of lights in it and they're kind of massive and stuff and yeah, it's pretty nice. It's not my favorite light. You know what my favorite light is? The plain old little four watt light that plugs into the wall, the night light. Because when I get up early, this is, I get up early and then I go back to bed after I get up. But I get up early 
and that little light guides me where I need to go to do what I need to do before I can go back to sleep. And I'm so thankful that little light, I don't stub my toe. I don't need the big light up the room light. I just need a little bit of guidance. That little light is so important. And if you're sitting in this room, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not a big light in this church. I'm just a little light. God bless you. People need you. It's, it's not a cliche. We all need one another. One more thing, and I'm going to quit. I know you're thinking, oh, do you promise? Yeah, I promise. <laughs> I, I was looking at a magazine. It's a Christian magazine. It's called World. And they have an a end-of-the-year issue. And it's the World, the, the Year in Review. And I'm flipping through the, they have a lot of pictures of people who died, people who left us this last year. And all these people, I go, wow, I didn't know he died. I didn't know she died. And it's all these famous people in the world of politics and uh, athletes, uh, uh, gold medal winners and uh, different folks. And, you know, Bruce Souter, split figure fastball. I saw him close that game for the Cubs and they won. And I'm going, man, all these people. And they're gone now. They're going. Oh, she was in that movie. I saw that movie. And I think, you know, things, big things, famous people. I'm not a famous person. I haven't written a book. I, I haven't pastored a big church. I haven't had anything named for me, after me. And it kind of depressed me, to tell you the truth, Re reading through this year in review. Well, I wasn't reading, I was looking at the pictures. But anyway, you get the point. And I thought, what's really important? What's really important? When I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors, John Woodbridge, taught church history. And great guy and, and I heard him tell a story about his dad his dad was studying theology and he went to Europe to study a preeminent renowned scholar liberal scholar who had written all kinds of books and done all kinds of great things and he studied under this man and this guy he's teaching New Testament Greek and when he goes to class to teach he doesn't even carry a Bible with him because he has the entire Greek New Testament committed to memory. True story. And at the end of the term, my professor's dad said to him, Doctor, they, the Germans love those titles anyway. Who was Jesus? Kind of caught him off guard, but he gave him a straight answer. He said, Jesus was a moral teacher. He was a good man. You might say he was a great man. But was he God? No. Dr. Woodbridge's father went on to become a missionary in sub-Sahara Africa. And he told this story to his son, 
Dr. Woodbridge, and he told it to some of his students. He said there was a young boy, barefoot, dirty, shabby clothes, in dusty Africa. And he said to the boy, do you know who Jesus is? And the young boy raised his head up and grinned, and he said, Jesus is the one who died on the cross, and he forgave my sins. So I want to ask you a question. When you stand before the judgment throne of God, who do you, whose place would you rather be in? The learned, renowned professor of, of the Bible? Or the humble, unschooled lad in sub-Saharan Africa? I know who my money's on. I know who I want to be standing next to. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be acclaimed in this world. But here's what I want all of us to shoot for. Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for your spirit. I know I can't do that much, but I do know this, that you can, by your spirit, uh, speak words of truth and wisdom and joy to all of us. I pray that there might be something here this morning from my message that would be of benefit. And I know that if it is, it is only by your power and your will. Thank you, Lord, for caring about us, loving us, moving us along, and helping us to grow. And I do pray for everyone here today that we might grow in our spiritual lives this coming year. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.